Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. On April the 22nd, 2012, 19-year-old Tanner Barton lost his life at the home of friends Michaela and Marcus Salazar. The promising college football player was visiting his hometown of Kokomo, Indiana, USA. Tanner's death was described by the coroner as suspicious, although after a controversial police investigation, Tanner's death was ruled as an accidental death by positional asphyxia. The verdict, however, threw up more questions than answers, and to this very day, Tanner's mother Michelle is still searching for answers, and ultimately, justice. With exclusive testimonies from Michelle Barton and the popular true crime podcast, The Deep Dark Truth, we tell the full story to raise awareness and ultimately get this case reopened. You're listening to Think Twice Media's Tanner Barton, Where Is My Justice?, Tanner Barton was home in Kokomo, Indiana on the weekend of the 21st of April, 2012. Despite being due to attend a party at Purdue University on the Saturday night, Tanner instead stayed in Kokomo. After leaving his family home at 5pm in the evening, Tanner met with a friend. They smoked marijuana and went to see a movie. After leaving this friend, Tanner drove out to the home of good friend Marcus Salazar. The home was owned by stepfather Jeff Linsku and mother Carol Linsku. Also in the home that night was Marcus's younger sister Michaela, 
and younger stepsister Kirsten. After catching up with Marcus and his family for a couple of hours, Tanner and Michaela head out to the popular Kokomo nighttime hangout spot, Dan's Bakery. Officially, Marcus did not accompany them. They returned back to the Linscoop home shortly after leaving the donut shop. Tanner and Michaela would spend the rest of the night in the basement together, watching a movie, talking, and allegedly drinking liquor. Tanner would make an attempt to walk up the stairs out of the basement, but he collapsed and fell. He would lay there undiscovered for six and a half hours until he was found by Michaela the next morning. Tanner would be pronounced dead at the scene by the coroner, aged just 19 years old, on the basement floor of his best friend's home. We've been given exclusive access to the case by the Barton family. Michelle Barton recounts Tanner's early life, as well as the last time she saw her son alive. Yeah, Tanner, um, he was a C-section baby, so it was a planned day. Um, he was actually due on July 4th, um, but yeah, but um, doctors don't work on that day. <laughs> so um, it was amazing. The fireworks were going off and, you know, it was perfect. He was our first child, our first son, our only son. And, you know, um, as he got older, uh, he used to think that, all the fireworks were because of him. It was his celebration that they were doing it. And so when he was little, we just said, yeah, Tanner, it's all for you. This is, you know, everybody celebrating Tanner. And when he was little, he thought that was, you know, that the 4th of July was for only him. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, as he gets older, through his youth and going into those teen years, can you remember any funny moments Oh my gosh, there are so, so many. Because Tanner, um, he was just so funny. Um, everything he did was funny. But I remember um, Halloween, he dressed up as a woman. We had to go get a, him and his buddy dressed up as women. And that, that was when the Razor scooters were really popular. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then we put softballs in an old brawl. We went to Goodwill and put a wig on him. And um, he had no shame in his game. He just was cruising down on his scooter as a woman, getting candy. And, you know, just he just was funny like that. And now in school, he did very well. Um, doing the research for this, we know that he had a love for football. In this country, we love what you would call soccer, but what is around the world known as football. Um, what was Tanner like at football? How good was he? He was amazing. He um, he started in first grade and he worked all the way up through. Um, he made the North-South All-Stars. He was an All-State. North-South All-Stars is huge in Indiana. It's where the top um, players in the North go against the top players in the South. Right. And that's every kid's dream um, in Indiana to make that team. Um, and he, he made it. He was one of the best linemen there. He played the whole game. He was amazing. Um, Allstate, got a scholarship to college um, for, for football. Um, just, as, and I keep saying that because I'm not a football. I don't understand football. My husband does. So I just thought it was my kid out there um, just tackling the quarterback all the time. You know, he was just so good out there, so just amazing on the field. Um, his 
when he get to when he got to college, his coach said that um, he would make all state by the time he was a junior if he kept up the way he was playing. So was it the plan then that he, did he want to be, go pro? Was that was that the eventual plan? He could have, yeah, and he he would have, yes. I think he he really could have. Now I'm aware that he made the dean's list not once but twice. How did that make you feel? We were so proud. I mean, we were so proud. And actually the day that he left the house, we were discussing um, his academic scholarships. I said, if you know, if you, cause he got a half ride for football. I said, so if you get these scholarships for your academics, that's going to put both of the, um, you know, you're going to get a full ride. Yeah. And, and he smart, he used to tutor kids. So he would tutor the other, the, the other players and write, he wasn't supposed to, but I found out he wrote some papers for some kids. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, so he was smart and athletically talented. So, so when, when he went off to college, how far away was that from, from uh, Kokomo? Um, uh, just about an hour. If that One hour's drive, probably 50 minutes, but because of traffic, um, you know, but. so when he went off to college, were there any changes in him? How, how did he change as a person? Obviously leaving the family home, going out to live in college was, did he change at all as a person or did he remain true to himself? Was he, was he the same guy or did he, he grow remained- up a lot? He grew up as a man. Um, you could tell um, he came back and I always say he left a clean cut kid and he came back a woolly booger. He had that big, you yeah, know, the football yeah. team that they grow the big beards and everything. Yeah. Um, but he was still true to himself. He literally even matured more because he was going to be a physical therapist. He had goals. He, you know, partying wasn't a big thing for Tanner. It never was. And when he got to college, it never was. And that proves, you know, in his um, academic uh, accomplishments, that right there proves that, um, you know, he wasn't into the party scene. He was more into just, let's get this done. You know, he was focused, so. So now we go straight to the chase. The night in question, or should we say the day in question? He comes home for the weekend. Um, He comes home, he speaks to yourself. What are your recollections of that day? So his movements from when he arrived back at the family residence to when he left. Okay, um, he came home. Um, I was out and about doing something and I actually texted him and said, hey, come help me get this piece of furniture. Cause you know, I knew he could move it by himself. So yeah. <laughs> before your dad gets home, I don't want him to see this. So, um, you know, so he came and once he got home, he came and helped me do, you know, a couple pieces of furniture movement and which I was buying. And, um, and then he got home, he brought all his laundry in, he took a nap, um, he got up, he ate a, a meal, um, he shaved his beard down because, you know, you have this beard and then he just shaved the chops. So then he just had these chops here, um, which he was very, very proud of. Um, I didn't like them, but he and his dad thought they were way cool. Um, you know, and then that's when we had the discussion with him about um, his academics. And then about um, 
when he went because he was getting ready to head out to a party and we were discussing you know hey if you see girls somebody providing or slipping something in their drinks you go make sure they're okay I mean this was literally this was my discussion with my son and I kept telling him you know you're going to a big college party tonight which we later found out he didn't go to but at this point we thought that's where he was going and he was like yeah. No, I know, Mom, I know. I said, but you're a big guy. You protect him. If a guy's going to chase, do something to a girl, you know, and that was my conversation with him. And little did I know it would be someone that he needed help. You know, somebody should have had that conversation with their kids. So, so your understanding then, before he left the home, you were under the impression he was going to go, was it to, to Purdue? Yes, to Purdue University. Yes. It was like a 45-minute drive away. And would that have been where uh, his girlfriend was? Uh, yeah, she was going there to a party. She actually was only a senior in high school, but she was like an right. orientation type party for um, freshmen, incoming freshmen. So. so when he left the home that night, you thought that's where he was going? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So why do you think it was that he didn't go? Well, my daughter told me that um, he told her that he was just going to hang here. Um, he didn't want to be that guy that was, uh, you know, a, just hanging around his girlfriend. He wanted her to go have fun by herself. Yeah. And he was going to be on call for her. And so if she needed anything. Yeah. He was going to be right there. So, you know, 45 minutes away, he could be there. Um, yeah, he just wanted absolutely. to have fun by herself with her girlfriends. Now, this next question is going to be extremely difficult for you, Michelle. Um, I'm going to come straight out with it. Can you remember your last interaction with Tanner? Yeah. Um, we, his dad and I walked him out, which we did every time. Um, every time he would come in, we'd see him, we'd run out. But I just, just you know, when he first came home that day, you know, he seen me get out of the car and um, he just gave me a big bear hug and said, hi, Mommy Sue, and just picked me up and, which, you know, then I was much littler, yeah. <laughs> much smaller, and it didn't matter. He would have still been able to pick me up, um, but he picked me up and just gave me a big old bear hug and just, you know, my feet were dangling, so that tells you how big the hug it was, and um and then uh, when he left, you know, my husband shook his hand, said, you know, thank Bub, and, and I uh, gave him a hug and said, love you, Bubby. And he goes, love you, Mommy Sue. And then he got in the car and, of course, did his little text. <laughs> and then he, I just remember the last time he just did that, you know, he just drove off and did that, like, bye. And we watched his car go around the corner and then we walked in and that was um, the last we seen him.
At this moment, Tanner has now decided to drive to the Linskoog residence to spend quality time with his friend Marcus Salazar and the rest of the Salazar family. This drive, however, is one that he would take alone. At the residence at this point officially was Marcus and Michaela Salazar, joined by stepfather Jeff Linskoog, mother Carol Linskoog and daughter Kirsten, all at the family home. However, there is massive speculation which is rife that there may have been several more people at the home that night, ranging from other friends to the controversial local veterinarian and alleged lover of Carol Linsku, Dr. Todd Cooney. The time of arrival is up for debate, however, with the general consensus stating that Tanner arrived at the Linsku residence at 10 p.m. Now, with exclusive footage obtained by TTM Medias, we are now showing you a brief snippet of Jeff Linsku in his police interview discussing this very point. Um, what time did he come in last night? He got to our house around 10 o'clock-ish last night. Um, which, and it's not unusual for him to pop by. Mm-hmm. Um, came in, seemed like he was in a good mood. and said he had finished a paper at school, got it done early. Um, came in and said hello and you know, wanted to know where Marcus was. He was downstairs. So, um, he went down downstairs, you know, shortly after just coming in and saying hello. So it's around somewhere in that 10 o'clock-ish range is about when he got to the house last night. You seem all right? Seemed to me. It seemed like he was in a good mood because he got his paper done and he'd just grown out his lamb chop sideburns and it seemed like he was in a good mood as far as I could tell. Um, And... What happened next? I mean, he's there, you're talking to him. Did you stay in the main part of the house this whole time? Or? Yeah, we were upstairs. Um, Carol was working on some picture orders that she was doing. Um, and I was going through a box of pictures for Marcus to put a senior board together for him. And we were up there and we were just doing our normal thing. And, and then, while you're doing that, um, Tanner's where? Um, Tanner had been downstairs and he came upstairs because um, Carol was in the bath and came out of the bath and came up and Carol made Tanner a couple of grilled cheese sandwiches or something because he was hungry and as I was in the living room going through the pictures and mm-hmm. he was in the kitchen with Carol um, having a couple of sandwiches and stuff and then uh, he went downstairs and put, I think he was playing video games with Marcus and Michaela. Okay. Um, downstairs and we were still up in the main part of the room you know with the floor and then um, he came up and he and Michaela were going to go to Dan's Donuts and pick up some donuts and you were still up at this yeah time. we were still up at this time and this was 1230ish okay somewhere in that neighborhood I don't know sure. the time um, and so we gave Tanner some money to go get uh, donuts and he and Michaela went to go get donuts. So what's your understanding of Tanner's movements between leaving your household at 5pm 
And then prior to arriving at the, the, the Lynn Scoop household, which we believe was somewhere between 9.30 and 10. Okay. Um, okay, so at that point, we thought he was just going to Purdue. Um, so we're going to go back because there was an, somewhat of an investigation in 2018, in which they told us that um, Tanner had gone to the movies with a friend. Um, this friend told the detectives in 2018 that he and Tanner, you know, went to his apartment, they smoked a ton of marijuana, then they were late to the movies, and he said that he, um, around 8, it was like 8.20 that the movie was over, and he told detectives, and in his statement, he said that he just didn't feel well, so he went on home to his place. This is the friend? Yeah, this is friend, um, Adam Payne. Yes, his friend Adam. Okay. And um, Adam said that he um, didn't feel well, so he went home, which was odd. You know, it's odd. It's your, your friend's back in town. You invite him to a movie. You know, there's a lot of oddness going on with this case. Mm. So, so Tanner, um, when, it, per Tanner's cell phone, um, what these people have said about Tanner just happened to come by around 9, 30, 10 o'clock is wrong. Tanner's cell phone shows that he spoke with Marcus Salazar because um, Marcus had been texting Tanner all day. See, I have Tanner's cell phone. So I have, you know, the, the text between them. And Tanner had said that, um, they said, hey, can you come out? We're having a party. We have friends. We have, you know, family's going to be there. Um, even the little um, Marcus's sister, Michaela, had asked him to come out. And Tanner's like, no, I got to go for you, you know, you know, I'm going there to be with Micah, his girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then it comes out that um, all of a sudden Tanner's like, and then you, you read Tanner's next text. It's like, hey, is that invite? Basically, is that invite still open? And this was like at 8.30 something. And he goes, Marcus says, yeah, are you a cruise in this way? And Tanner says, I believe so. So Tanner didn't arrive 9.30 or 10. That was their lies. His phone shows that he arrived closer to like 10 till 9. Uh, he arrives at the Linsku household officially as per the police interviews that we've seen. The people in attendance, the mother, Carol, shooting Carol Linsku, mm-hmm. Jeff um, Linsku, the head of the household, the stepfather, Marcus Salazar, who he was there to see. Um, Michaela Salazar, his sister, and Kirsten Linskoog, who was the daughter of Jeff the Stepfather. Uh-huh. Officially. And they were the only people there. Well, and then you when, have... Mm, go on. Todd Cooney. Did you mention the veterinarian? Or did I miss this that? This is what I was going to say. Oh, where sorry. Does he, where does he fall into all of this? And who is he? Okay, um, from what we had heard at this point, all I know is Todd Cooney was um, Tanner's best friend, Tommy's dad. Um, at this point, um, Tanner had spoke with me a couple weeks prior to his death. He came home for Easter and he was really upset. And I said, what's going on? And he said, well, Todd Cooney, um, Todd's having an affair with Carol and he felt really bad for Jeff. And, and that's when I had to have a discussion with him and say, this is an adult thing. 
Um, I know you like Jeff, uh, whatever, but this is, you know, this is for adults. This is their sin, not yours. You need to just stay out of it. And it really bothered him. And I had to tell him, you know, you don't want to interfere with any of this adult stuff going on. And um, so then that, um, that night, so Todd Cooney was there. Detectives told us that he and Carol, they confirmed it, that he and Carol were having an affair and that he was there as her boyfriend, but yet her husband still knew that they were dating. So, sorry, just, just to confirm that. Jeff knew that they were in a relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's his wife and, as I understand it, possibly a colleague, Todd? Yes, they're all colleagues, yes. At that point, from what I had heard, they were all um, in a business of veterinarian clinics. So, nah, they were drinking. I mean, that family, they're partiers. They have kids over every Friday night for football parties. A lot of the parents, and I didn't know this because we lived on a different side of the county and my kids went to a small um, county school until they got to like middle school. Then they had to go, you know, bust over. And these um, parents, after 10 or past, they said, oh, well, we didn't allow our kids over there because they allowed these kids to smoke marijuana, do drugs, um, drink. Um, and I have to say allegedly because um, I was not personally there to see it, but these parents came forward to tell me that that was the known party house after football games on Fridays. Um, detectives even confirmed that and said, yeah, they had heard that um, that's where the kids were allowed to freely do what they want. At around 12.15 a.m., Marcus stated that he went to his room to go to sleep, leaving Tana and 15-year-old Michaela alone. With the blessing of Mother Carol, the pair would head out at around 12.40am in Tanner's car into Coconut, where they would visit Dan's Bakery, a well-known late-night hangout spot for teenagers. After arriving at the bakery, Tanner would bump into friends and spend time chatting. However, after waiting in the long queue for around 30 minutes, the pair would leave. According to Michaela's witness testimony, they would also attempt to pick up another friend. However, this friend was at home asleep. The pair would then head back to the Linskoog residence, arriving back at around 2am. Witnesses would then claim that Marcus Salazar was allegedly seen with both Tanner and Michaela at Dan's bakery that night, along with another female friend believed to be a friend of Michaela's. Now, during his police interview, Marcus would give his account of where his night would come to an end. So you guys are playing video games um, up to about 1215. You're downstairs up to 1215, right? Well, I mean, I wasn't, like, we, we played, then we went back upstairs. I went to bed around 1215. Oh, you went to bed around 1215. Okay. And, um, his phone was in my room when I went to bed. In which room? My room. My bedroom. Oh, his phone was in your room when you went to bed. Right. Okay. And uh, 
So I was laying there texting for a little bit, and then about 12.30, he came in to check on his phone, he turned on the lights and saw I was there, and uh, he said, like, goodnight to me, goodbye. Did he seem alright? Did he seem staggering or anything like that? No, he was fine then. And um, I asked him if he was going to stay or if he was going to go. He said he's staying. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, okay. So I said, fine. And he went out of my room, downstairs. And then a couple minutes later, I heard that they were going to go to dance. You were still up and, and heard that? I was still awake. That was 1240 when we were looking at my phone. And um, he said, yeah, Marcus is asleep. And I fell asleep about five minutes after he said that. And they left. That's the last. I woke up. Him and your sister left? Mm -hmm. I woke up and I heard Michaela say to, say to Jeff that Tanner's downstairs and his face is blue. He's not moving, and so I ran out of bed and I got down there and so I called the dog. I called him. Um, understand that a lot of people are going to ask a lot of questions, you know, so I, I have to be thorough. Yeah. Okay. So I have to ask some uncomfortable questions, but before I ask those questions, I want you to realize that this. This investigation is not about um, things you have done in the past. Mm -hmm. Okay, this investigation is about what happened this morning. Right. Okay. Um, however, these questions are going to have to be are going to be asked, and we have to go through the motions on this. Okay. Your husband had shared with me that he had um, provided alcohol in the past um, to both Tanner and. Um, your your son Marcus Marcus and um, you know were you aware of this no I knew Marcus okay. with Marcus with a share beer. with me what you knew there um, well with Marcus I always my opinion is if, if they want to I'd rather them drink with me than with friends so I mark yeah. we limit Marcus to having one beer uh, with us but how often last time was in the summertime that okay. I'm aware of um, you know, myself, I would be concerned with legal ramifications mm -hmm. with that, you know. Mm -hmm. Not that we're going to make, be, be able to make an arrest on that, you know. But did that not go through your mind? I mean, were you upset? Upset that you with? given him, you know, beer? With Jeff for giving Marcus a beer? Mm -hmm. uh, no, because it's in my house with me. And I, as long as Marcus was with me, I was okay with me. Okay. I'm not too happy about the other. Can you tell me about Tanner, or, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, can you tell me about Tanner um, in this game of shots? Oh, Tanner came, Todd was there, he'll be able to answer that too, but <clears throat> Tanner and Todd and me and Jeff were all in the kitchen, I'm not sure if Marcus was there or not, but Tanner said he wanted to play the shot game. Because I guess Marcus has told him, oh, and he, Tanner was there probably last year or so when the adults were over and Kim and Todd and me and Jeff and some other people. Mm -hmm. We'd play a card game that 
it was a shot game. We call it shot game. Okay. So Tanner said, I want to play the shot game. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, Tanner, you're not playing the shot game. That was it. We're not partiers or anything. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. So we've seen Tanner for two hours. Texting him all day, like you said. Obviously looking forward to seeing each other. You wouldn't go to bed after two hours. Um, Tanner with the intention of going out to get donuts with Michaela, the younger sister, also very close of her and friend, uh, friends of her. Why would Marcus have gone to bed? Why would he not have joined them? That's a key point for me. Us too. And then Tanner's cell phone was in Marcus's room. Yeah. Why would Tanner? And if you look at Tanner's cell phone, he was texting friends all night. He kept saying, what are you doing? He didn't want to be there. You could tell he didn't want to be there because he kept texting people. So if Tanner was texting people, why was Tanner's cell phone in Marcus's room? Yeah. How could it be in Marcus's room when he's texting people and Tanner's downstairs while Marcus, you know, I didn't, and, you know, Carol's like, oh, he had a bad day. Seriously? Yeah. Tanner rolls into town, your best friend, the one that you guys like stamp and Jeff even admitted they stay up all night watching videos and playing games. And but on this particular night, they didn't. And witness testimony says that he was seen to be inebriated. Mm -hmm. Is that yes. something you can confirm? Yes, that's what we were told, and and I didn't mean to cut in. I thought you were done. No, 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 it's fine. No, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, he, um, but the gal that they said that they um, went by her house and she was asleep, I messaged her, and she said they called me, and I told them I, they, I couldn't go anywhere. My stepdad said I couldn't go. It was too late. So she lied, um, Michaela lied to detectives and said that she just went by and her friend was asleep. Her friend was awake. She called her. She And I have the text from this gal who it can be confirmed that Michaela actually called and Tanner, and she said she heard Tanner in the car with her. Now, this links Google residence. Um, two words spring to mind. Relaxed parenting. Mm -hmm. Allowed to drink in the residence. Confirmed in the police interviews. Children under the age of 16 years old allowed out in the early hours of the morning, the most dangerous hours. In my opinion, unacceptable. Relaxed parenting. What is your understanding that um, Tanner was potentially involved in consuming alcohol with the parents? That sickens me. And I found out two weeks um, prior and... Had I called this mom, uh, it was at Easter, of course, I took Tanner out for lunch and he's like, mom, we drove by a liquor store and he's like, hey, why don't you stop in and get me something? And I, I was like, he was joking, I thought. And I started laughing. I said, you know, bud, I said, you're not 21. You're not getting anything. He goes, you need to be a cool mom like Carol because she buys me alcohol. I'm like, what? That's when I found out. And I'm like, Okay, as a mom, I know he's 20. You know, I know legal drinking age is 21 and, you know, in America. But I was like, I wish I would have called her and said, don't you ever provide my son. And I almost did. I was this close and I thought, you know, he's, he's grown. Um, he can take care of this himself. And I told him, you're not of age. 
And then we found out, um, my daughter confirmed it, that he, he told her that, hey, if you ever need alcohol while I'm away at college, Carol will buy it for you. She buys all the kids alcohol that come to the house. So that's why a lot of there's a lot of traffic going in and out of that driveway because she buys kids alcohol, allegedly. Mm. You know, I'm not allegedly in there because, but this is what I was told by my kids. Once back at the Linscoot household, Michaela would say goodnight to Carol and Jeff, who were still awake at this point. They would then head down into the basement. Michaela would grab a beer for Tanner and an alcoholic fruit drink for herself. After these, it is claimed Tanner would go back up into the kitchen and get more alcohol. This time, some white rum and pineapple juice as a mixer. The pair would spend the next hour or so drinking and confiding in each other. During the police interview, it was claimed by Michaela this would be the first time she had ever drunk alcohol. However, she does admit to being drunk. Michaela would recount this time period to Detective Shirey. So you guys, how long would you say that you stayed there at, at the um, at the Dan's Donuts? Maybe 10, 15 minutes. Not long? Not long, no. Okay. And then you went where? We started driving to my friend's house, like, but um, she was asleep, so we just turned around and went home. Did you ever make it to the friend's house? Mm -mm. We made it to his house, and he showed me it because I've never seen his house before. Oh, you hadn't? Mm -mm. He didn't, didn't go in mm -mm. or anything like that? We just that. drove past him. He's like, okay. That's okay. She was driving around. But you guys didn't stop at any stores or anything, anything like that? No. What time would you say that you got back to your house? Um, two, maybe. Okay. Was anybody awake when you got home? My mother was, and Jeff. Um, I went to go say goodnight to them. Okay, is Jeff your stepfather? Yes. Okay. And uh, so they were in bed? Yeah. Okay. And then uh, what happened next? He told me he didn't want to be sober, so I got him a beer, and I got me uh, like a little fruit drink thing. Was it alcohol? Mm -hmm. Okay. And I wasn't expecting to get drunk. I was just taking little sips of it. But I, it was the first time that I've ever done that. So, um, and then he's like, a beer, beer is not going to satisfy this. So he went upstairs and he got um, the little plastic bottle. I don't, I don't remember what it was. I think the cops said rum. He said it was. He wanted to get the plastic one because it didn't make a lot of noise when he tried to get it out. We also got pineapple juice to mix in it, so. Where was the pineapple juice at? In the fridge. Okay. I was downstairs when he went up and came back with those. What happened next? We watched a movie and we, we just continued to drink and then he, he poured some of that in the drink and he gave it to me and I just took sips from it. I didn't really expect to get crazy and um, then the next thing I knew it was empty and his was too so then he refilled them and I spilled some on the floor like <laughs> two times okay and then uh, how much how much would you say that you consumed of this uh, I drank the fruit drink drank I think two glasses 
of the pineapple juice mixture. And I drank a little sip from his. So, I, I, yeah, I was... So you were intoxicated? <laughs> yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, how intoxicated would you say that you were? I don't know. I kind of... I, I, I always expected drunk to be, like, not comprehending what's going on, but I knew what was going on, so I don't... I don't know on the level. I'm sorry, say again. I always thought, like, drunk would be, like, not be able to comprehend, like, from the movies and stuff. So I did not... I comprehended and I understood what was going on in, in the way, but I was... I don't know, I've never been drunk before, so it was, it was weird. Were you dizzy? Yeah. Okay. Were you, uh, did you throw up? Mm-mm. Uh, um, how long do you think you guys were drinking? Sorry. Um, last time I looked at the clock, it was three o'clock, so okay. maybe an hour. were drinking what was he discussing um he wasn't really talking I was I was talking about my problems and that he was just comforting me I guess and he, he kept saying that he was drunk and I didn't believe him because he's a big guy and I thought it took more than just two glasses and a beer to make him drunk mm-hmm. so I'm like you're not drunk whatever so you just saw him drink two glasses yeah and a beer maybe not middle but a little bit less than halfway so really roughly you're thinking that most all this alcohol was consumed within one hour um I guess yeah so prior to um, you getting him that beer, did you smell any alcohol on him at all? No. No? No. Okay, so to your knowledge, he had nothing to drink until that point. Yes. And you say he was, do you know, how, how much pineapple juice was, was that in that container? A decent amount. I know that he used it all when he was done. Because he threw the the um, thing, I think. Do you think it was nearly full? I won't say halfway or a little bit, but. Um, He just had two glasses that he mixed on his own mm-hmm. in a beer. He wasn't doing any shots. No. So after arriving back at the household, uh, Michaela says goodnight to her parents. Jeff takes a prescribed sleeping pill, goes to sleep. Tanner and Michaela look to head down to the basement. 
according to Michaela in the police interviews, Tanner was fully um, intending to get drunk. She gets him a beer. She gets herself a fruit drink, which I'm not sure what that is. We think it might be an Alco pop over in the UK, uh, alcoholic fruit beverage. They go yeah. down into the basement um, and they have a beer and, and she has the fruit drink. Allegedly, Tanner then claims it's not going to be enough for him. He goes upstairs, gets uh, white rum. Was it white rum or or some Bacardi, sort of coconut yeah. rum? Bacardi. White rum, we'll say, and, and the pineapple juice. Comes downstairs. Uh, according to Michaela, less than a half full bottle. Bearing in mind, this is a claim from Michaela. This is the first time she's ever drunk alcohol. I don't know if that's true or not. Personally, I would say probably not. Um, they have they have a couple of drinks. They talk. Um, allegedly, Michaela confides in Tanner. Um, he offers a, a support network for some of her problems, which, by her own admission, wasn't was a regular thing that he would do because he was a caring guy, and she saw him as a brotherly figure. Um, Things that stand out to me here. I don't think it's the first time she drunk, but she did admit to being drunk. She also thought that Tanner himself was drunk. Now, from what I can understand, they had two glasses each of rum and pineapple juice, and Tanner had a beer. As far as you're concerned, Michelle, would that have been enough for a man of Tanner's size? Would that have got him drunk? What's your experiences of, of Tanner, Tanner's drinking? Would that have been considered a lot of alcohol for, for him? Or would that have been seen as something you could handle quite comfortably? Well, <clears throat> Tanner never drank around us. Um, Tanner didn't drink um, that we knew of. Um, so this was pretty much the first that we had heard um, that he was partying. And of course, he told his sister that, um, of course, we're parents, but she, he told his sister that the summer prior, so this was April, so it was, you know, the summer before, um, was the first time he'd gotten wasted and um, it was at the Linskoog home and that they allowed him to drink and party with them and they all would get wasted. Um, that I didn't know until after Tanner passed. So, which is sickening. And, um, you know, I, no parent should allow any of that unless you ask permission and I would have still said no. Um, because that's just not what we do. I mean, I drink, but you're not of age yet. So um, stuff like this can happen. But Tanner's BAC was only 0.063, which is equivalent to about one, maybe two beers. So whatever they said Tanner drank that night, we don't know. We don't even know because the toxicology is all conflicting. So we don't know what our son actually had in his system. 
but we know that with the bottle that um, we were told that it was almost full. Sorry. And we were told it was almost full. And um, if it was almost full and she's never drank before and Tanner's BAC was only 0.063, she would have been deathly ill when she was giving those interviews. And you all seen the interviews. She didn't act like she'd been hung over or sick. I mean, no. y'all know what it looks like because I know I've... <laughs> I remember when I was younger and had a few days like that, but, um, and then Tanner's BAC would have been higher. So that tells us that there was other people drinking with those two that night. The story would now take a tragic turn. After around an hour of drinking and talking with Michaela, Tanner would rise for the very last time. Making his way to the staircase, planting his foot onto that first step. He would turn, collapse to the floor, and lay motionless. At this moment, Michaela witnessed this happening. She would then approach Tanner, check his pulse, and upon allegedly feeling what she believed to be a pulse, would then make a decision that surely would haunt her for the rest of time. She would return to the sofa where she would fall asleep, leaving 19-year-old Tanner Lane Barton to take his final breaths as he lay there, undiscovered and alone. For an utterly astonishing six hours. He got up and he started going upstairs, I think. But I think he fell and he made his funny noise and I started laughing. I thought I, thought I was joking. Mm -hmm. And he just laid on the floor and I went over to him. and. I tried to move him and he was like made this snoring noise. I'm like, oh, he probably passed out. And to be funny, I checked his, not to be funny, but I checked his pulse and I felt something. So I didn't think that he was dead or anything. He was at that. I noticed there was like a landing, like there's steps and there's a landing. Mm -hmm. No, he like went up the first step that I saw, I think. Oh, you think he only made it up one step? Yeah, and then he tripped. And which way did his body go? I think, I think he turned around to look at me and tripped and then his fell like that way. 
Would you be able to sh to to show me? Do, do you want me to? Can you? Yeah. So that I can understand. So there's the steps. He's walking around. He, Does he appear to be stumbling? You say. Yeah. He starts to go up the first step and he turns around and he falls and his does this really weird foot thing and he made a noise and he falls like this, like, like that. And lands on his side. Okay. And what would you say this noise is that he Like, made? it's like, wah! There's <laughs> something. And you thought he was just joking I, like I he had. I thought he was joking. He's pretty funny guy. And what noise was he making after that? Like his snores. His snores were like a bear okay. snoring. So I thought he was just passed out. So I went to They look like his snores, like he was struggling a little bit? Not that I saw. Can I, you kind of reenact how he was snoring? Like... <laughs> That's okay. I, I want to hear. I'm sorry. I thought he was. I thought he was snoring. He was like. I thought he was snoring because that's how I normally sound. Okay. And he said he's like nasal issues. I don't. So you uh, walked over to him. Yeah, I walked over to him. I was like Tanner, Tanner, and he snored after I moved him a couple times. And I go, okay, he's asleep. And so then I checked his pulse to be sure, and I felt something, so I went to go okay. back to sleep. I'm like, he's fine. Do you have any idea what time this would have been? <sighs> this is maybe 20 minutes or so after I checked the clock at 3. Let's see. So we're looking 3.20, 3.30-ish in this area. Mm -hmm. Okay. What happened next? I went to sleep, and... The next thing I woke up and I I still saw him over there. Right. So last time Michaela looks at the clock, around about 3 a.m., 3.50. For an unknown reason to her, Tanner gets up, goes to walk up the stairs, turns, falls. She says he makes a noise. He's on the floor. She goes over. She asks, he calls his name, thinks he's joking, messing around. Um, she also says she thinks he may have passed out because she thought he could have been drunk. We've already established probably wasn't the case due to the blood alcohol levels. Mm -hmm. She claims to have checked for a pulse. Unsure whether she's found a pulse. She says she thought she felt something move. She said it didn't register in her brain. Um, and then she goes, gets into bed and goes to sleep. The most shocking thing for me, um, I think she should have gone and got somebody at that point. You know, even if it, even if it's an innocuous fall, um, she doesn't know he's not knocked out. He could have hit his head very least she could have gone and got marcus come on marcus tanner's fallen over can you come and wake him up you know he's your friend at the end of the day come and get him up stick him in bed i think he's drunk you know that sort of thing not you know nothing more than that nothing more sinister she, but she should have gone and got somebody i don't understand why she just went and got into bed on the couch 
which was do you, how far away from him would that have been? Just feet, probably ten feet, if that. Okay. And um, why would she? Why would she go to bed? Because her bed's in the basement. Her bedroom's in the basement. Why wouldn't she go in her bedroom? And just in case Tanner got up and wanted to go lay on a couch or something, why would she sleep on the couch? Which is where she said he was due to sleep, or mm -hmm. where he would usually sleep would be on the on the on the couch. Mm -hmm. So she's effectively taking his place of sleep. Yeah. So she which meant she was prepared to leave him, even if he even if he was fine. She's still expecting him to sleep on the floor, which mm -hmm. is odd. Yes. Um, it's what I would call gross negligence on a monumental scale. It's inconceivable, yes. unthinkable that someone's collapsed in your house. You go over and check their pulse, has a brain fade herself when she said it didn't register. Outrageous. And then secondly, just leaves him. It's angering. Very. And my, my daughter, after my son passed, she's like, it's like um, what she did was like... Um, somebody drowning and you're out there and you're just standing at the shore and watching them. That's what this yeah. is like. It's like, and not helping that person that's out there drowning. You're just sitting there watching and you're not leaving and going into the water to get them. That's what she said. It's comparable in her mind. It was too. So um, I believe, and I don't believe Michaela was the one who was down there with Tanner um, I believe adults were there. I believe kids were there. Um, if you read um, <coughs> the addendum um, that Todd Cooney wrote, there's some, you know, questionable things where, you know, he said Tanner died around 3.30 a.m. How would he know that? Um, we don't know when Tanner died, but yet he knew. So I don't believe it all happened the way she says, because like I said, we've all been told that they fat, you know, formulated stories. They were all liars. The detectives didn't believe them. So we don't know what really happened. Um, we do know Tanner was moved several times. So we don't know if that's where he collapsed. We don't know um, what actually happened from the time Tanner's girlfriend and him called from each other from 207 to 211 a.m. until 911 was called. We have no clue. We have nothing. Um. Members of the household would start to awake. The first being Carol and Jeff. Carol would allegedly leave the house early to go run errands in Kokomo. Jeff would wait to feed the animals. Jeff would unknowingly be the first to discover Tanner. However, instead of raising the alarm, he would instead take photographs of Tanner as he lay at the bottom of the stairs and then email them to Carol. It would be another almost two hours before Michaela would awake to find Tanner, laying in the same position she had left him six hours previously. It would be Michaela who would raise the alarm, crying out for stepfather Jeff. It is alleged the 911 call would not be made initially though, 
Instead, members of the Salazar-Linz group Inner Circle will be contacted first, including controversial figure Todd Cooney. Only then would Marcus be instructed to call 911. You woke up about what time would you say today? Oh, I'm thinking somewhere 7.30ish is when we woke up. Um, I would think we actually got out of bed until 8, 8.30, somewhere in that range. Um, Carol left to go to tanning bed and run a couple of errands in town. Um, and I got up and fed all of the animals that we've got. Um, I heard one of the dogs go down to the gate to go down to the basement. Mm -hmm. And so I went down to get him. And then, and that's where I saw Tanner laying on the floor. And I'm thinking he's just asleep because it's in the past, you know, sometimes they'll just fall asleep wherever down there when they've been up late. So I didn't Have you ever been in fall asleep on the floor before? Yeah, all the time. Okay. Uh, so that's why I didn't think anything of it. You know, in fact, he was asleep. So I grabbed Val, who was the dog that went down, uh, took him upstairs, and I thought about, you know, this is kind of a funny photo, you know, type of a thing because of where he was sleeping. Mm -hmm. So that's why I took the, the photographs of him. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I sent one to Carol through email, my work email, to her email, mm -hmm. uh, just because I thought it was an odd. You know, Can you show of, me where you did that? Because I never did um, get to see. It's not on this phone. Oh, it's on the other phone. It's on the other phone. Okay. That, I can't remember which one the officers okay. took them. And you, so you send the phone to Carol. Did so you send, I, sent, I sent the picture. The picture through email. Right. To Carol, because I thought, yeah, this is just. I mean, we've taken pictures of the kids before when they've slept. Them. Sure, I understand. Thought um, nothing of it at all. Mm -hmm. Came upstairs going through my normal routine and getting dressed and you know, dishes and all the other things and then I was looking for something and Michaela came up um, very upset something's wrong with Tanner something's wrong with what'd Tanner. she say um, she said something's wrong with Tanner I think he broke his nose and so I immediately went downstairs and I don't know if she had moved him at all but I know I rolled him over, and then I, I saw his face. Okay. And I, I knew instantly when I saw his face that he was dead. Uh, but I still tried to see if I could find a pulse on him anywhere. Sure. Um, see if I could get his airway open, and I couldn't. And, and Marcus had come down at some point because I was trying to do something, and that's when I told him, call 911 right now. And so he made the call. Jeff Linskoog was lying. There's no reason for Jeff Linskoog to go down to the bottom of the stairs because a dog would have been barking at the top of the stairs. And the way the staircase goes, it's um, down, like five steps, turn, and then down, and enclosed. So you can't see. So you have to walk down. So there was no reason for Jeff Linskoog to go down to the bottom of the stairs. So um, he got the picture and he emailed, he didn't text it to Carol, he emailed it to her. He went up and got his work phone, emailed it to Carol. And she, you know, when she got back to the house, now this is, you know, kind of interesting because he emailed it to her. When she got back to the house, 
not only did she come by, you know, she, she left to go get donuts, but then she came back at 9.40 a.m. at the same time with Todd Cooney. Now, how, when she was calling Todd on her way Zooming and racing home, how did Todd and her meet up at the same time in the same vehicle at the same time at the door? So she says her and Todd arrive at 940. You know, well, it, we have this in the statement. So this is written down, um, documented by the police because they have a, a, a login for anybody that came to the crime scene. So she um, she got up on, um, she, as soon as she got up to the door, her and Todd, Jeff answered the door immediately and said, I sent you, a, I emailed you a picture of Tanner. And she goes, I, I can't see it. She goes, so I hand the phone over to Todd and told him I can't see Tanner that way and deleted it. Now, how did Todd and her end up at the house at the same time first? How did she know what the picture was? Because Jeff just said, I found pick Tanner in a funny position. How did she know she couldn't see Tanner that way? And for Tanner to be lying at the basement steps, and Jeff, I don't believe that's where Tanner collapsed. Um, I believe he was placed in that position because the lividity doesn't match up with the way Tanner was. And they admitted, all of them, there's like three or four times they had moved Tanner in their statements they admit to it. So we don't know what actually happened. Like I said, once again, <laughs> they were, we were told they were lying and they are not to be believed. The emergency services would now arrive at the scene. The coroner would perform an assessment of the scene, pronounce Tanner dead, and begin the investigation. Detectives would arrive to question the Salazar-Linskoog family. At the scene, Tanner's death would be officially described as suspicious. The basement was described as resembling a place where a party would have taken place. An empty alcohol bottle would be found hidden in the basement. Tanner's body would be transported to the Howard County Community Hospital for an autopsy and toxicology examinations. We now bring in Mo of the Deep Dark Truth podcast to explain the findings of these examinations and explain to us possible complications and inconsistencies with these findings. Mo has covered this case extensively in the past and dissects it for us now. So the coroner arrived at 1040 and he photographed the basement and the body. And this is what the coroner's report had to say. I went over to the body and performed an external examination. I checked his neck to see if he possibly had a neck fracture and it appeared okay. However, x-rays would be taken once the body was at our facility. I did not remove any of the clothing at the scene. This would also be done at the facility. Detectives began processing the scene. And while they were busy with the job, I started looking around the basement. So an important thing to note here is, well, a few different things. But most important thing, in my opinion, is that 
Tanner Shortneck is mentioned and that later became a point of contention with the new quarter when it came to positional asphyxiation. But the placement of the body from the section or from this specific section of the coroner's report wouldn't be the position that Tanner died in. And we know that because the coroner's report said that he was found on one side of his body. The police report says that he was found on another side of his body. I'm not sure if this is a clerical error due to how they document. So for example, if the police do it like while they're facing the body and the coroner does it from behind the body. I've talked to a few detectives and they all seem to think that they should all be the same way, but moving on. Also in the witness statements, Michaela mentions that she had, you know, shaken Tanner and Jeff Linskoog mentions that he tried to give Tanner CPR. So in the coroner's report, when they say, I arrived to the scene, this is what position the body was in. He had a short neck. I'm determining that this is positional asphyxia. It's hard for me to decide everything that they took into account to make that call just because of the extra things that are in the coroner's report, which I'll get to in just a second. So the coroner said he was deceased laying partially on his left side with his right foot touching the bottom of the step. As the coroner was waiting on the toxicology report, with the amount of information they had and the lack of witness statements, that's how they made the determination of positional asphyxia because there didn't seem to be anything outward that they could significantly say this is absolutely what it was. So due to the lack of any knowledge on their part, Tanner's death was ruled natural, but awaiting further information. So they didn't close out the case to begin with. Then there were three toxicology reports to follow. So the three toxicology reports in this case, none of them seem to match each other, which is very strange. So just keep in mind as we go through this that we know that Tanner was drinking at the time of his death. And we know that he had smoked marijuana repeatedly leading up to his death. And we know those things from various witness reports, from statements given, by other people, by other people Tanner had been with, and from eventually his cell phone. So the first, what I'll call the first toxicology report was on 422, and it was from Howard County. And that was a drug panel and a blood alcohol test. And that Drug panel was positive for THC and cannabinoids, which matches what we know, and it was negative for other drugs. And Tanner had a blood alcohol level at the time of his death of 0.063. The second is this urine test. So there were a long list of things tested, and that test says that Tanner was negative for all drugs including marijuana and cannabinoids in general, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It also doesn't make sense because that's the test that you would normally take if you were to be drug tested at a workplace. So it's a very reliable test for things like THC and marijuana. And there's also this contentious fact that 
in the coroner report, the coroner says that they were not able to get urine from Tanner's body. So there's this question of where did this urine test come from? Was something just documented incorrectly? Was this urine test kind of somehow put in the file later or was a lab switch to where it got labeled for Tanner, even though it wasn't Tanner's to begin with? That might account for why there was no THC in the system. And the last is a test that they shipped off to AIT labs that the coroner talks about in his report. And that test would be the last that was given to the family when the case was closed. So this was a test that the family didn't really even know existed. But after the case was closed, after Michelle had been very vocal for years about Tanner being the possibility that Tanner could have had ketamine in his system and wanting that tested for, and all of these different people going to Howard County and asking them, hey, do you have a statement on this? The parents of Tanner Barton would like a, a test for ketamine. They never said, well, we've tested for ketamine, but this test from AIT that is then sent to the Bartons, it says that, that ketamine has been tested for which doesn't, which also we have, we have the issue too of this not exactly matching the other things as well. It was negative for, I believe, ethanol and like other forms of alcohol, basically. In terms of the toxicology reports undertaken by three different bodies, as it were, um, what enough are you thinking there? I mean, in terms of your position on it how how do you think that process was undertaken was it lawful and and, and secondly do you do you feel that that that's even right is there an opportunity even now to try and perform some sort of tests that with with the equipment and things that they have now yeah unfortunately i don't i don't think there is much opportunity for retesting michelle from the very beginning once she realized that she wanted well, I'll say once Michelle was brought the theory that ketamine could have been involved, she started being very vocal to the point where she said that she would be willing to have them exhume Tanner's body, which to me is a sign of the family being very confident that, so that something is wrong because you don't just let somebody exhume your son's body unless no. you very much feel that something good would come of it but at this point after how many years it's been i don't think that there's any fluids for them to get that could help enforce anything like that any kind of toxicology and i don't believe that the state of tanner's body I think whatever happened to him was internal. So I don't think an external force. So they would still be able to find blunt force trauma, for example, by exhuming a body after this amount of time. But I think that whatever contributed to his death was internal, whether that's, you know, drugs or a health issue or whatever it is, it, it was internal, in my opinion. And so I don't, I don't think that it would help, unfortunately. I think that with the information they have, 
that they could extrapolate some other possible things if state police, for example, were to get involved with this case. I think it would be a lot quicker. I think that they would get different results. What those results are, I'm not sure, because even with the amount of information that Michelle was given after the case was closed and therefore we are privy to, there's still so much that wasn't done that needed to be done at the time. Todd Cooney, the elephant in the room. Disgraced local veterinarian, drug abuser, adulterer. Todd Cooney was at the Linskoog residence the night Tanner died. Fact, Todd Cooney did have his DEA license suspended for seven years. Fact, Todd Cooney was a known abuser of the drug ketamine. Fact, Todd Cooney was in a relationship with Carol Linskoog. Fact, Todd Cooney was never once mentioned in police interviews. Fact, Tanner's death was not only suspicious, but also consistent with a ketamine overdose episode. Fact. And the most chilling fact of all, Todd Cooney was never questioned by police in the immediate aftermath of the night in question. Fact. He um, had abused ketamine uh, in his clinic. Uh, he was found with a needle in his neck. Um, he had vials and ketamine vials and needles in his home. Um, the same home that Tommy lived in, his, his son. And then I think this is kind of where the relationship kind of went, you know, you know. South. Left. Yeah, it went south. And um, yeah, so then he lost his license. He, um, for seven years, and he had just received him his DEA license back not long before, just months before Tanner was um, found dead and he was at that home that night prior. So, so uh, as I understand it now, he actually practices homeopathy, which is um, drugless treatments basically of dogs. So that to me would indicate further issues with drugs, trying to distance himself from drugs, that sort of thing. That, um, that's just what that says to me. So the fact that he was at the household on that evening, mm-hmm. why would that concern you? Um, because of the way Tanner died. Tanner died, his, um, the way his di- he died, the manner, the cause um, is, is, parallel to um, dying from ketamine, um, from, you know, the symptoms of overdose on ketamine. Uh, Tanner was found to not be able to reposition himself to breathe. Um, We were told that he couldn't reposition himself to breathe. We were told that he um, suffocated. We were told that he was not able to move, um, that he had been paralyzed and but they couldn't find anything in his, in his system. Well, if you think about it, ketamine is out of your system within you know four hours. 
Well, they waited six and a half hours before they called 911 when Tanner collapsed. So yeah, it's not going to be there yet, but they didn't check for, they didn't check for it, even though we begged them to, but yes, um, it is parallel the way Tanner died to overdose on ketamine. Tanner's death. Despite the coroner initially describing it as suspicious, it was officially classified as natural causes. It would not be until the case was finally closed in 2018 that Tanner's death was changed to an accidental death. However, this did not provide closure for Michelle Barton and the rest of the Barton family. In their minds, justice still is yet to be found for Tanner. Despite numerous attempts to reopen the case, on top of 32 pages of questions presented to the Howard County Sheriff's Office, communication between the Barton family and the Howard County Department has stalled. And as things stand, the investigation remains a closed case. Too many questions remain unanswered. What were Tanner's movements between leaving his family home and arriving at the Linscoop household? Who was actually in attendance that night at the Linscoop residence? Did Marcus Salazar retire to his bedroom at midnight? Was Marcus and others present at Dan's Donuts? Why were Jeff and Carol Linscoop not investigated further, despite openly admitting to providing alcohol to minors on their property. Why would Tanner have a low blood alcohol level if he had been drinking up to 3am with Michaela? When and where did Tanner actually collapse? Why was Tanner left unconscious for six hours? How is it acceptable for Jeff to take pictures of Tanner and email them to his wife? Why was Tanner never tested for ketamine? And why was controversial local veterinarian Todd Cooney never questioned by police, despite being at the Linskoog residence, both on the night in question and the morning after? Fast forward to the present day. The fight for justice for Tanner continues Michelle Barton continues to raise awareness every way that she possibly can. She has even appeared on numerous podcasts and has been the subject of multiple articles. An appearance on the Dr. Oz show, however, would prove problematic after she received questionable, if not harsh, treatment from the Dr. Oz show representatives, most notably Laura Petler. However, Michelle will not stop the fight. In terms of the Linskoog family, the infamous household would be sold. The marriage between Jeff and Carol would end. Marcus, Michaela and Kirsten would move on and live normal lives, albeit with the knowledge of that evening in their mind, body and souls forever, until the end of time. And as for Mr. Todd Cooney, he would go on to continue his veterinary practicing. However, 
would move into homeopathy, where he would no longer have access to the narcotics that dogged his career. Carol Linskoog would remarry. She would now be known as Carol Cooney. To join the fight for justice, please share this video in the hope of one day achieving justice for Tanner Lane Barton. Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.